I wanted to talk about, uh, I had a chance to see a, a double feature of Halloween Spookies, which is a movie that I directed with Dustin Mills, and another movie he directed, it was uh, the debut, uh, Blood Ritual. It is on his uh, Patreon right now for subscribers, uh, or people who uh, pitch into it. But yeah, I got to check out a double feature of that. It was really cool seeing Halloween Spookies with a crowd, with a group of people. I enjoyed seeing that. Uh, it was really fun. You know, I'm, I'm proud of it. It's a fun little movie we did. We'd like to do another one next year, or this year, for the next uh, year. And uh, Blood Ritual, which was a, a, a it was um, a found footage kind of ghost story, which are two things that I'm not really a big fan of. But what I did like about it was the acting was really good, and uh, he set up a really good mythology with it, which he's always good at. So I think it was pretty interesting. Uh, like I said, the acting's great in it, and that, that drive, drove the movie uh, pretty far for me. But uh, not necessarily my favorite genres, but I, I enjoyed it. That's Blood Ritual. Check it out if you're interested. Let's get into the reviews. The first one I will be reviewing is The Devil's Reign from Severn films. Yeah. I had heard about this movie for years. I had the DVD. Never watched it. Uh, when when I was uh, when it came out, it was probably like 10 years ago. I was like, PG, 70s horror movie. But then you don't really realize that movies get rated PG that shouldn't all the time. And they're, they're some of the best, actually. Uh, Jaws and all sorts of stuff. But Devil's Reign. This movie is insane. It's uh, directed by Robert Fuse, or Froze. He did the Abominable, he did Abominable Dr. Fives and Dr. Fives Rises Again, which I love. So I should have watched this years ago. Has Ernest Borgdine in it, who I love. William Shatner, Tom Skerritt, uh, Eddie Albert. There's some other people in here as well who pops up. Uh, John Travolta, one of his first early roles. Uh, and it had participation from Anton LaVey from the Satanic Church. He was on set kind of uh, making sure the rich were right. This movie's bonkers. This movie is absolutely ridiculous. The plot here, it opens up right in the beginning. We see uh, uh, William Shatner and his mom are petrified that their their father, the father's not coming home, the, uh, uh, the patriarch or the family. They believe they're blaming somebody named Corbus. It's Corbus. He comes, the father comes, uh, and he's, he comes back and he's, it's raining and he's in this weird wax form and he melts before the rise. This launches off Shatner to go find Corbus and they're talking about a book that they need this book. Uh, the interactions between Shatner and Ernest Borgnine, who plays Corbus, are great. Uh, Borgnine is chewing the scenery. He's loving it. He's doing such a good job. He's super fun. At points, he's in makeup with these gnarly ram horns. It's really great stuff. Uh, the movie doesn't ever slow down. Tom Skerritt shows up to find out what happened to his family, and more insanity pursues. He has a girl with ESP, a girlfriend with ESP, or wife, and it's just, why is this happening? It's barely discussed. She's only there so they can uh, uh, carry the story even faster and show backstory and show connection between the Preston family, which is Tom Skerritt and William Shatner's family, and Corbus's family, his relatives. Uh, the whole movie is just ridiculous. It's about an hour and 22 minutes. There's some chase scenes. There's some shootouts coming out. Uh, or uh, these crazy cult members who are featureless and black eyes shootouts and chase scenes with them and uh, by the end of the movie it has one of these giant uh, special effects extravaganzas uh, uh, great melting effects it's probably got the longest melt scene ever it goes on for way too long it's it, it's almost like they uh, advertised the climax and they gave you almost 10 minutes of the climax this movie doesn't really take very long to get started if at all anytime and uh, from then on it doesn't stop I, I really loved it I was vastly entertained it has a lot of actors that I enjoy watching Shatner's pretty good in it he's a little restrained which uh, was really cool to 
we'll see. Uh, he's he's having fun, but he's not completely crazy doing the thing like this all the freaking time. Uh, and uh, Ernest Borgnine was my favorite part. I love seeing him in it. Uh, the features on here are ridiculous. Let me take a look for you guys so I remember everything, how great they are. The auto commentary, which is ported over from the DVD, uh, was pretty cool. Uh, and I imagine the director's passed by now. Uh, a new interview with Tom Skerritt, which I love to see. And he, he laughs at the end when they say that, uh, how'd you feel about Anton LaVey? He's like, I don't know who he was. I must have met him, but uh, he was on set, you said. And uh, they said he was there for the satanic uh, stuff. And he was like, they wanted, uh, what is it, uh, satanic... Uh questioning and he's like oh and he just started laughing uh there's a, a special uh, interview with the special effects artists on here and there's also some old stuff with like these uh not old stuff, but there's these new ones uh, with uh, satanic uh, people from the church. The Church of Satan are on there, and they're talking about how Anton, Anton LaVey, who passed, has been talking, hey, talked about this, and how he worked on it. Now, they necessarily don't think it's a great movie, but uh, they understand that it's fun and silly. But uh, And they also have the script supervisor on here, which is awesome, because you never get a script supervisor interviewed. And she gets in-depth about it. She worked on all these Spielberg movies. She talks about how she first got this role, and basically uh, how weird it was filming The Devil's Reign. I loved it. I think it's a great release. It looks good. It sounds good. It's just a blast. Uh, perfect for this time of year in the fall. Uh, it has a nice desert setting. It's in a desert town and a ghost town, so it sets up this weird isolation and atmosphere. I like it. I think it's really great. Who calls me from out of the pit? There's never been anything like the Devil's Reign. Come forth from the abyss. Starring Academy Award winner Ernest Borgnine, Eddie Albert, William Shatner, Ida Lupino, and with the special participation of Anton LaVey, High Priest of the Church of Satan. And John Travolta in his most exciting film. I don't know whether doing a, a Star Trek movie would be a step backwards for me personally. Uh, I've just finished a, a movie called The Devil's Reign in which... Uh, yeah, what are you in that? Well, I get possessed <laughs> by Ernest Borgnine. It's very painful. And I saw the pressures that were building up for Bob by the financial people. I know that we started to get behind, and as you know, with anything, and especially low budget, money it, it gets very tense. And it was such a cheap film, we didn't, couldn't make full bodies for these people, so we made heads that were partially almost melted from a, a sex shop. We bought these inflatable dummies. Anton was invited to be on set. He described Bob Fust as a visionary. Anton LaVey hit it off with John Travolta. There's even a, a note where Anton LaVey refers to having done a sort of little success ritual for John Travolta. Yes, career. a little right. Scream with the devil, the most astounding downpour of horror ever seen. Your body can be entered and cleansed of its unworthy soul, the devil's brain. Heaven help us all when the devil's brain. Now on Blu-ray for the first time. Next one from Severin is The Devil's Honey. Yeah, this is a Lucio Fulci movie made in 1986. I had not seen it. 
this is one that kind of passed me by a bunch of times. I had those uh, a couple bootlegs that were imports, and they, I imagine the quality was terrible. Now, supposedly, this is the first time it's on cut, although some internet movie database runtimes don't match up with this one, but I don't really trust those because, you know, anybody can change them. And the, the, the PAW and, and uh, TSC conversion could mess things up. But it's supposedly uncut, and it's in HD for the first time. A lot of the Italian prints, they're beat up, and this is the best this one's ever going to look. I don't know if it was ever. It's never probably going to be released anywhere else. But uh, The Devil's Honey. This is a doozy. Uh, listening to the special features on here, I learned that uh, Fulci, I always knew towards the end of his career, he was sick, but he was he was fighting viral hepatitis, and he finished Murder Rock, and he was basically comatose for a while. And his comeback movie was The Devil's Honey. He's no longer working with his old producer, who did stuff like Zombie and New York Ripper and all those uh, you know, supernatural Fulci movies that everyone loves. But this, this does start his uh, first time he worked with Brett Halsey. He would he worked on a couple more movies. Uh, Devil's Honey, how do I explain this movie? This is one of the most perverse, weird movies I've ever seen. Uh, we have this girl who's obsessed with the saxophone player. The saxophone player is an abusive guy. Uh, he's very sexually abusive, very sexually pushing, uh, and uh, not a good guy. He uh, has this motorcycle accident, and he passes. This doctor, who's also having sexual problems of his own, a lot of problems with his wife, who's played by uh, Chlorine Clary uh, from uh, Hitchhike, uh, they end up, uh, he has this big fight, and he messes up the surgery, and the saxophone player dies. This upsets the woman, and she was a very submissive, being pushed into these sexual things, and she decides to go completely dominant, kidnaps the doctor, and basically starts turning him into her sex slave, which is a complete reverse, which is, is very bizarre that you have her being this submissive thing who's fighting off all these weird advances from her boyfriend, but eventually caves in, and then uh, kind of uh, turning into this dominatrix woman thing, and the, the, she's just like beating the crap out of Brett Halsey, and Brett Halsey also had this strange, or Dr. Simpson in the movie, this strange uh, fascination with weird sex and strange things like that. So uh, it's like these reverse roles for both the characters, uh, these almost weird sexual awakenings that cannot be healthy for them considering that they're, in, they're violent and they're unauthorized on each other. It's a super strange movie. She's very cruel to Brett Halsey, has, her in, has him in a leash. Uh, so I'll say this, Sick Fulci was sick. Uh, that's pretty much what sums it up. There's an orgasm by saxophone. There's a strange menage a trois in a movie theater. It brings in a lot of uh, weird sexual moments and fetishes in the movie as much as they could do. The music's great because it's like this classy saxophone style jazz music. It's entertaining as hell. It's weird as hell. It's creepy as hell. It just gives you the gives you the creeps, man. It's a strange movie. Uh, very enjoyable. Uh, pushes the boundaries. Fulci never never cared about boundaries. He was always pushing that uh, that transgressive cinema, and he was just always going further and further. If it wasn't a horror movie, if just like this weird sexual uh, psychological thriller, it didn't matter to him. All his movies are usually entertaining or intriguing, interesting. And this one is as well. There's interviews with Brett Halsey on here, which I really loved. I loved seeing what he had to say about the movie. Uh, there's also interviews with uh, Chloeine Clary, uh, the producer who talks about how he got Fulci to do the movie in the first place and being sick, uh, the composer. And, uh, of course, Stephen Thrower's on here talking about the movie, which is a wealth of knowledge, and a Troy Horworth. So you get both those guys. Those guys are on all these releases. They know everything. Uh, video essay from him. So they do a lot of stuff. Uh, it's, a, it's a very entertaining, bizarre movie. I really recommend this, too. Both those movies, uh, Devil's Reign and Devil's Honey from Seven Films, I loved them. Get up! Why did you let him? 
Gotta believe me, I did my best. I think maybe Devil's Honey is the last really well controlled, uh, reasonably budgeted film that he made. Fulci's fascination with the erotic and the taboo can be traced all the way back to his 1969 Jallo perversion story. The next one here is Legend of the Holy Drinker from Arrow Academy. I had not seen this movie. I had not heard much about it. It has Rutger Howard in it. It's based off a book. Uh, I put this in, and right away I could tell this was going to be like this sad, morose uh, movie. It's, a, it's about a, a drunk, but uh, he doesn't overact and stumble around everywhere. He sleeps under a bridge. He's a Polish immigrant in uh, Paris, I believe it is. And this movie is super bizarre. By a, a chance of good faith, this guy loans him 200 francs, and he tells him, when you get a chance, pay it back to this church. This this uh, basically is the catalyst to start uh, Rutger Hauer's strange, strange, uh, I want to say, a uh, couple weeks in his life. Because he starts meeting all these people from his past, and he lives like a hundred years in these few weeks. Uh, you know, metaphorically, he sees all these things and be, meets all these people, and you, you get glimpses into his past. He has this small box, which is probably the most emotional part of the movie. He has a small box where he keeps all his trinkets in, and he has this watch. And they show where he got this watch, and it was immediately a tearjerker for me. And when that watch comes up every time, it's a tearjerker. And it's a story about kind of a sad drunk who can't seem to do this one last thing no matter what. And uh, it, it's like a plight of a, a, a good person who has a horrible addiction. And that's necessarily what that, that this is. You like the character, although he doesn't always do the right thing and you just want him to go pay his debt and it adds these strange characters that from his past and it, it, it you you learn what he's done and why he's so sad and all these things and this weird newfound luck that eventually ends in a very uh unique way i don't want to spoil it but rugger howard's great in it top-notch acting he's always great uh really enjoyed that it is a it's a fairly long movie over two hours the the, the atmosphere is really really great it has these surreal moments and uh i love the backstory i love to see this guy in in rugger howard's eyes it's it's glossed over from drunk uh from drinking from being drunk and uh there's just there's a lot of sadness in there and it, it, he does such a great job and uh it, it's a very unique movie uh on here there's only a couple interviews i believe one was with uh the producer who wanted to have the movie made and get the director and everything that's the one that comes to mind i think that's the only thing on the desk and a new interview with rugger howard how can i forget that which was really interesting as well i'd recommend that one it's a, it's a nice movie it's fairly it's a little long but it, it's shot in a beautiful location it's shot beautifully and it, it's very very well acted where am i going who knows well you're a foreigner i could show you the way if you like it's god who is set you in my path i'm certain of it i have a great favor to ask you something very close to my heart you asking me a favor me yes and i know that you are worthy uh, it'll be my pleasure don't take it badly will you if if I speak to you very frankly, I can't help seeing that just for the moment you're in, you're in some difficulty, in need of money. No, don't be offended, please, no offense, it can happen to anybody. Now, I have more money 
than I need. Please. Please. Hmm? Won't you tell me how much you, you want just, just, just to be going on with me? Hmm? Just tell me. 20 francs wouldn't be bad. You'll need more than that. You'll need at least 200. <laughs> 200. 200 francs, of course, would be a lot better. I can't accept it. Why not? Because I wouldn't know how to pay back that kind of money. You couldn't come after me to ask for it. I haven't got a house. I sleep under the bridges. Every night, under the bridge. So... But I'm a man of honor. I know how to behave. I just don't have an address, that's all. I have no address either. The next one here is Three Tears on Bloodstained Flesh. Or it could be pronounced Three Tears, but I believe it's Three Tears on Bloodstained Flesh. Uh, this one was kind of a, a more like throwback to a giallo made in the Midwest, so that kind of interested me. And right when you say like throwback to giallo, I have high standards, so I have to say that. I have immediate high standards because I love Italian films. I watch a lot of Italian films. When you say throwback, I'm expecting something like, you know, maybe uh, one of the couple ones of Profaso Rosso that just came out. Stuff like that that's super Italian that knows all the little in intricate details. But uh, this one is... Uh, it's a two hour and 21 in hour minute independent movie. So it's quite long. It is fairly low budget. What I will say about it is the acting's fairly solid. It's super ambitious. It sets up this town and the things that it does well, like a giallo are, it has a lot of twist and the lighting and, uh, the, the 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 plot the general plot feels like a jail too uh, kind of this outsider going into a location fish out of water approach and uh, and a lot of side zany characters fits it but it doesn't feel shot like a giallo or the music's not like a giallo or it's not edited like a giallo maybe a shot here or there feels like one but it's not really and that that to me was very distracting. Because it's, it, it's definitely a budget constraint because if you look at a lot of the, like Don't Torture a Duckling, there's these wonderful shots of the camera following really steady, even though it's not handheld. But And then they'll end on a really poignant note. And I love that about uh, a giallo without saying much. This movie is very talky, so it says a lot of things and a lot of details and whatnot. Uh, but the twists in here are absolutely ridiculous. Let me get into the plot. I should have said that right off the bat. We have this uh, guy, Dominic. Merrick, I believe, or he, uh, his uh, niece dies, and he goes back to this old town to figure out what happened. Uh, you realize that Dominic has a, a chip on his shoulder. He's very angry. He's very violent, and at first, he's very, very uh, somebody you want to stay away from. You don't really like the character. You're thinking, man, this guy's some uh, you know want to be Charles Bronson type character. And over time, you realize when he's dealing with these townspeople, you kind of side with him because they're monsters. They're monsters, and you just hate them. He tries to find this information what happens to his uh, niece while his daughter tags along, and he has his sister and she's a drunk now she's torn up from this you realize this town has a weird seedy underbelly which is very jello uh it's not a high class place like uh, a lot of jello it's it's you know middle class lower class kind of area and uh it, they have in this weird supernatural element that it it doesn't necessarily go where you're supposed to but it's kind of cool some of the twists uh you when you when you start watching the features you realize they did set them up better than uh 
you think they are by the end of the movie. You're like, yeah, it came out of nowhere. But they do kind of set it up here and there. Uh, the acting, like I said, ranges. My favorite characters in the movie are actually some of the weird side characters, like the old man who runs the shop is great, or the uh, town drunk hermit, or even the coroner. Those guys are really great. Uh, the sheriff is also top-notch. Uh, and the, one of the main girls and the, the friends is good. And the lead, he does a lot. He, he has a good range here. He uh, goes from being angry to sad, and he, he does a lot of things here. There's a lot of fighting in here. Like I said, it's super ambitious. There's gunplay. Uh, there's gore. The practical gore looks really good. Dustin did the Dustin Wade Mills did the digital effects, so uh, I didn't even know that until I started watching. I was like, oh. So, there's a lot going on in here. There's a couple familiar faces. Uh, Kevin Roach is in here from, uh, what is the one, uh, Harvest Lake. Uh, Jim O'Rear is in here from the hospital movies. So, I recognize some people here and there. My only major complaint is that it's not really necessarily shot like a giallo. It's way too long. There's a complaints. And uh, the editing techniques, that doesn't really feel like a giallo. It's supposed to be a throwback in that sense. And it works half. Half of it works and half of it doesn't. And I'm only being so hard on it is because when you say that, I just feel like you're you're, you're setting yourself up big. you know. And uh, I, I guess I went with this more of a magnifying glass than usual. Like I said, though, it's super ambitious, and I respect the hell out of them for making it. The disc is loaded, too. The disc has two commentaries, which I listen to at work, uh, and uh, Making Of, which is like 30 minutes, which talks with the director and whatnot. The director appears in the movie himself. So, uh, you know, I, I it, there's a lot going into it. I don't know how you cut it down, but it definitely does feel like 2 hours and 21 minutes. And uh, like I said, some of the lighting is flat at times, but when they get it right, it looks pretty damn good. Uh, it's up to you guys. If you like the movie, if you've, if you've spotted it before, I would really recommend the release. It's tons of stuff from on Earth Films. If it sounds like you like these kind of low-budget movies, it's less giallo. Hell, it's more like a, a, a Police Atenza movie, or the, how do you say that? The Italian action cop movies, because it's this guy on a mission that can't be stopped. More so, or even, you know, it, 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 we don't see the point of view with the black glove killer where the glove. I know that's not a necessary thing here. We don't have close-ups of ice. We don't have many close-ups of eyes, if I can recall. And we don't have a Jim Bean bottle. There's no Jim Bean bottle. How can it be a jelly without a Jim Bean bottle? So there's a lot of things that they could have done, I think, to add in to make it more Italian style. But I respect the hell out of them for what they did. And what uh, I'm sure they had a low budget. And it's really ambitious. And he went out there. And he did capture some really good moments in it. Uh, some of the dialogue is it's pretty raunchy, pretty funny at times. You know, some people might find it funny. Sometimes uh, I, I did find a, a lot, something. So especially the old man in the shop was great. But uh, that's three tears on Bloodstained Flesh. I believe it's three tears. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, it might be three tiers, but uh, it's, it's, it's fairly unique. I'm not necessarily sure if I can give it a recommendation, but uh, if it sounds like you'd like it, then I'd, I'd check it out. I'm sure you will if you can tell by the trailer. I don't even know why I went in there in the first place. I'm really scared. I think I'm being watched. There's a darkness around me. I can feel it. Please help me, Uncle Nick. You're not going to like what you find. So what's your story? My cousin died. Oh, you're Lexi's cousin. It sucks about what happened. I don't actually know what happened. Well, it's, it's probably better that way. She was a local, wasn't she? My niece. You really think you can help? Saw her that night at the mailbox? Yes. It was dark. She was so scared. She's dead and it's my fault. Sometimes things are best left in the past. You dig deep enough, you'll find demons. Your niece was cursed. I'm good at what I do. I like it. You're not welcome around here. I'll leave when I find out who did this to her. Let it go. Oh my god. 
You shouldn't have come back here. Major Dundee from Twilight Time. This is a Sam Peckinpah movie. This one actually has both uh, versions on it. The original so-called butchered version, which I didn't watch theatrical, and the extended version, which is around 2 hours and 25 minutes. Major Dundee was actually Sam Peckinpah's second feature-length film, uh, the first being Deadly Companions, which I haven't seen. And this was made in 1965. Uh, after this movie, he pretty much got blacklisted for a while until he made a short, Noon Wine, and then The Wild Bunch, which was a huge hit. Well, not a hit, but... It was critically acclaimed, and uh, that kind of got him some more stuff. But <clears throat> Major Dundee follows the story of Charlton Heston, who's kind of like this... Uh He's a major who screwed up big time, so they put him at this prison. He wants to uh, make up for what he's done and kind of redeem himself by rescuing these three children who've been kidnapped by a Native American, the Apache tribe. So he gets together this ragtag team of people, uh, volunteers from his uh, army, uh, Confederate uh, prisoners that he has captured, uh, other criminals, and just regular everyday people uh, to find these kids, and they go on a mission. Uh, so what you get here is this kind of ragtag team group of guys, man on a mission movie. Uh, Richard Harris stars as an uh, old friend of Major Dundee that had a falling out who leads these Confederate guys. Uh, James Colbert's in it, uh, Peck and Paul regular, and a bunch of other Peck and Paul regulars sprinkle this movie. A lot of character actors like Warren Oates and Ben Johnson and L.Q. Jones and R.G. Armstrong and Dub Taylor. Uh, just a lot of guys like that. Uh, they're all tremendous and everybody's great in it. It's really a Slim Pickens. It's really great seeing all these people, although I think that Slim Pickens should have got more screen time. He's kind of a little wasted. And it and, and and this one is definitely a precursor to the Wild Bunch. It feels like the Wild Bunch at times when they go to the Mexican town and uh, they interact with the, all the Mexican uh, the people there and they sort of befriend them kind of in the Wild Bunch vein. Uh, the action's not, it's not shot as well as the Wild Bunch. Peckinpah definitely found himself in that movie and uh, maybe had more freedom. But it definitely didn't have freedom on Major Dundee. There's a lot of things that they probably screwed up here. But uh, one, towards my only real complaint about Major Dundee is towards the end scene, uh, there's this major fight scene, a uh, battle, and you don't know what happened to a lot of the characters. I know necessarily it's not a bad thing, but it, it glimpses over a lot of things here and there, and I wish that it would have been just a little bit more elaborate. The narration in the movie I don't particularly like because the character doing it is just probably one of the least interesting characters in the movie. When you got guys like Ben Johnson and L.Q. Jones standing in the background, there's a couple of characters in there that you're like, get past these guys. I don't want to see these guys. 
I want to see slim pickings, okay? So it's, it's that kind of stuff is that some of the leads aren't as good as some of the side characters. And I'm not talking about James Colburn or Richard Harris or uh, uh, Charles Nesson. I'm talking about some of the others. I can't even think of their names. They're, I wasn't familiar with their actors. Uh, but I enjoyed it for the most part. I think it's really interesting to see this, especially made before The Wild Bunch. And... Uh, I think that the acting's really the strong point here. And I like the idea of all these guys coming together that have all their differences and have this hate towards each other coming together for one good mission. And, uh, you know, it necessarily doesn't end well for a lot of these guys, but I would really recommend checking it out. It's, it's a really cool, unique movie that I hadn't heard much people talk about. It's not one of Peck and Paul's most popular, but it's, it's an interesting film for sure. In 1864, an entire New Mexico settlement was massacred by a band of renegade Apaches. I hope he was dead when they did that to him. If he was dead, they wouldn't have bothered. Major Amos Dundee was assigned to assemble a hunting party. I want some volunteers, men who can ride, men who can shoot. Return, I promise you nothing. But with the Civil War still raging, he was forced to fill out his ranks with Confederate prisoners, freed slaves, deserters, and outright criminals. I didn't sign on to go chasing after no homesick soldier boys. Which raises the question, who poses the greater threat? Jailer. Major Dundee was Sam Peckinpah's first large-scale film, and also the first to be taken away from him and recut. My executioners are left to stand in line. But now, on his 40th anniversary, most of the missing footage has been located and restored, a brand new score composed, and the entire soundtrack remixed in 5.1 Dolby Digital. The result is a new masterpiece, as close to Sam's original vision as possible. I'm fighting for the only country I have left, and I kill men in a hopeless war for it. Major Dundee explodes with all the excitement, intensity, and passion that made Peck and Paul one of America's most original and dynamic filmmakers. He just plain clean shot a hole in me. Now you know I ain't no deserter. I was fixing to come back, I was. And it features one of the finest casts ever assembled for a Western. Charlton Heston, Richard Harris, James Coburn, Jim Hutton, Michael Anderson Jr., Santa Berger, Ben Johnson, Warren Oates, Brock Peters, Slim Pickens, Duff Taylor, R.G. Armstrong, and me, L.Q. Jones. I intend to smite the wicked, not save the heathen. Don't miss Sam Peckinpah's first great epic, as it was always meant to be seen, but never has until now. Until the Apache is taken or destroyed. Major Dundee, the extended version. Now, Major, or across the river in Texas. Right now is just fine, Ben. Uh, I guess we'll get into the Q&A. What do we have here? Uh, Matthew Bushwell, what's your favorite Splatter movie? You know, I, I'm not going to name something obscure. It's really hard to beat Dead Alive, isn't it? You really can't beat Dead Alive. But uh, if you want to go more obscure, I like the Olaf Idenbach. I doubt that's very uh, very obscure anymore. But, you know, like Burning Moon and Primordus, Lord of the Living Dead. I like those kind of splatter movies. But uh, for classic, you go uh, Dead Alive. Can't beat it. Rick, what's your favorite Belgium or Bel uh, Belgian or Belgium-produced film? And did you see Man Bites Dog? I haven't seen Man Bites Dog. I've had it for years. I've been waiting for it to get released on Blu-ray. But 
I'm not seeing it come out anytime soon, which kind of saddens me. I have the uh, Criterion DVD here. I should just watch it. I've meant to watch it for like 10 years. Uh, Belgium, off the top of my head, I really can't think. I know I've seen them. I know I have a, probably a slew of them, but I probably just think they're French on an accident, just not knowing any better from pure ignorance. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I should have probably, uh, you know, done a better job on looking them up. But uh, what are some? Uh, why don't you tell me some good Belgian movies, and I'll tell you if I've seen them. Sorry about that. Uh, James Grimmer, my question for you, for your Q&A, is since I have been starting getting the Django movies, are there any other spaghetti westerns you would recommend? If you're starting in the Django movies, I'm sure you've seen the Ennio Morricone movies. I meant the Sergio Leone movies with the Ennio Morricone score. You got to you gotta see the, the trilogy, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More and Good to Bad and Ugly. Also, check out his other ones like Duck You Sucker and Once About a Time in the West, which is a masterpiece. But uh, for some other ones, check out Arrows with Franco Nero. That's really fun. The Big Gun Down's really cool. Day of Anger's really cool. Uh, those are the ones that come to the top of my head that I enjoy. Uh, you know, the, out of the Django movies, I'm not too familiar. Like I said, I've only seen a few of the Django ones. But those ones right there are uh, really fun, really good stuff. Uh, anything Sergio Leone, start with that. If you haven't seen any of those, check those, uh, uh, what is it, five five uh, spaghetti westerns out he did. And uh, maybe hop into Companion Arrows and uh, Big Gun Down's really great too with Lee Van Cleef. Uh, Nick, do you like slash enjoy horror musicals? If you can name your favorite, some suggestions, repo. Okay. Uh, my favorite, uh, you know, you uh, did a recommendation on stage fright here, not the 87, uh, Michele Soave movie. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm trying to get better guys. You know, my pronunciation skills are not very great, but, uh, horror musicals, uh, stage fright, uh, the one that recently came out probably a few years ago. That was a lot of fun. I love poultry guys, uh, by trauma, even though the third act's a little weak. Um, I love Phantom of Paradise, if that counts. That's a great one. And I love Shock Treatment. I'm not a huge fan of Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I love Shock Treatment. Uh, Christopher Dallier, favorite cannibal film. My favorite cannibal film is the obvious, Cannibal Holocaust. But I also really love Cannibal Apocalypse at number two. Probably a close second. I love Cannibal Ferox. I love Jungle Holocaust. I love, uh, does Cut and Run count? It's a jungle adventure movie. But those are probably my favorite. Even Mount uh, Cannibal God's really great. I love the cannibal subgenre, so I would go Holocaust, Apocalypse, Ferox, Jungle Holocaust. I love those four are probably the best four. And then Mount Mount Cannibal God, and then Cut and Run, if that counts. But love those kind of things. Or Zombie Holocaust. There's too many good ones. But Cannibal Holocaust, number one. Uh, let me get right into this. This first one is uh, Beyond the Seventh Door from Intervision. Or Intervision. Sorry, I always do Intervision for some reason. Yeah, this is a weird one. This is one of those movies. This was made in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, it was popular only. It was kind of a cult movie. Definitely a cult movie. Because it uh, played on uh, Canadian television a lot. It never had a proper DVD or Blu-ray uh, Blu release. Of course not. Or a VHS release. It's never really been released anywhere so uh, this is the first time it's ever been released uh this is an oddball movie uh, think samurai cop think halloween night think dangerous men think the room this is one of these movies where it's a uh, earnest foreign director from a different country that doesn't necessarily know the intricate ins and outs of you know how people act or interact with human beings uh the lead actor is also uh, i believe i want to say he's from croatia so he gives a super bizarre but earnest uh and kind of sometimes just cringy performance, but it's also genuine. It's a very strange uh, movie because of that. What we have here is this uh, criminal who's just released from prison. He goes back to his old lover, and he tries to convince her that uh, let's rob her boss, who's this uh, real, uh, really rich uh, millionaire sadistic guy in a wheelchair. They end up going there to do it, and uh, the whole house is booby-trapped. Uh, they end up in this... Uh, 
intricate layer with all these crazy traps where they have to solve puzzles. What uh, what this movie has going for it is that it's earnest, like I said. It's not so bad. It's, uh, you know, trying to be bad. It's trying to be good, but it's bad. So a lot of people kind of enjoy that uh, style of movie. But it has these really ambitious traps. Uh, they're all homemade. You can tell they're homemade. Uh, they're definitely on, made on a budget, but it has this nice little touch to it. And they are intricate, like I said. Uh, and this whole movie was filmed in a freaking uh, water plant basement. So you got to give it up for that. You can see the hard edges, and it makes you kind of appreciate it. I will say that most of the movie is uh, just them in a couple rooms talking. It, it does wear out its welcome. The lead performance is insane. It's super weird. The dialogue is very clunky, how he delivers it. And the way they kind of shoehorn and show like a sex scene and like skin and whatnot is is, is hilarious. It's, you can see what they're trying to do is like trying to make a movie that's uh, for, for a wider audience. And a lot of people might get a kick out of it. It's not necessarily my thing. Sometimes these work when you have this like really uh, crazy kind of different director making something in a different country. Like I love Halloween Night. Uh, I really enjoy Samurai Cop. But Dangerous Men in this, uh, I'm, 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 particularly Dangerous Men is really bad. But this one, I think it has some... Uh, genuine great things about it but i'm not really thrilled with the entire movie there's no gore or actual nudity to speak of there's only four actors in a whole movie and only uh, three of them have uh speaking lines and three of them actually show their face so you don't have much going on there um it's just really painful to watch at times but also also i think people can see this and appreciate it for what for that kind of a you know that they went out and they had ambition and they made a I guess a capable movie. It's not particularly great, but uh, it's presented... Uh, I believe this is one of those movies that possibly was shot on film, but uh, was edited on tape, and the tape is the only thing, because it's. A, I think it's a, you know, it's not great quality. It doesn't look particularly great. There's an audio commentary with uh, the lead actor and the director on here, which was uh, great to see, and it's also narrated by the guy from Exploitation, who seems to have a genuine fondness for the movie. There's also interviews with the director and actor, and this is much more interesting than the movie, how the movie actually got made, who these people are, and how they're still kicking and uh the director is definitely a bizarre kind of guy he doesn't think like other people and he has these strange beliefs he's actually a writer all this stuff is much more interesting it's a nice release uh it's uh it's one of these movies that i think in a group people will get a kick out of me watching it by myself to review i was thinking eh, this really isn't for me there's some moments like i said that are worth checking out and uh, i i appreciate the ambition i appreciate the sets but i do not appreciate the uh kind of uh just the awkwardness of it is just too awkward for me welcome to my chambers of terror whoever you are but of course i know what you are you are a thief a burglar who has trespassed on my property to steal my famous treasure so go ahead get it that's crazy you can now try to open the next door to continue on, or you may stay where you are and die peacefully. Screw you! Screw you! You heard that? It, it became cult immediately. He always told me, like, Lazar, you're a very interesting guy. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, why don't you write for me something? It wasn't the happiest crew on earth. 
there was friction. Director of photography didn't like assistant, uh, whatever. So it was tense on the film. And I sensed that, you know, it was not kind of uh, love, love, love. But I would recommend to people that if they like these kind of puzzle movies, that, that, you know, this has some very interesting puzzles that are, you know, kind of beyond what you'd expect for a film that is, you know, admittingly much lower budget than something like Sleuth or Death Trap. You'll always remember meeting Ben Curry, and he always had a kind word to say. And for me, all I knew is I could get him a ton of media if I play the kitsch card. I know people won't take him serious, but he had serious ideas. I don't like it. I don't like it at all! The next one here is Blood Feast from Arrow. This also is uh, includes Scum of the Earth. These are two Herschel Gordon-Lewis movies made in 1963. I'm going to say some things about Herschel Gordon-Lewis that a lot of people are going to be like, eh... All right, years ago I saw Blood Feast and I never was a fan of it. I liked the crappy remakes and sequels or whatever you want to call it. Blood Cult was okay. Love Blood Diner. Uh, Blood Sucking Pittsburgh. Blood Sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh I enjoy. Never saw Mardi Gras Massacre. But I never was a particularly huge fan of Blood Feast. I thought that it was just more concerned about making money than making art. And I know that's the genuine concern for a lot of these movies, but there's a lot more to it. These are craftsmen. And Herschel Gordon-Lewis necessarily isn't a craftsman. He's innovative as hell, but he's not a craftsman. And uh, so so when I rewatched this one, I was interested. I listened to all the features and everything, maybe appreciate a Herschel Gordon-Lewis. I already did appreciate him. I understand what he did for the genre. He made pretty much the first gore film with uh, Blood Feast, one of the first gore films, if not the first. And uh, he was always transgressive, but he never felt dangerous, if that makes sense. When you watch somebody like uh, a Van Beber or even modern-day James Bell, they seem dangerous. Like, there's danger in the movies. And when I want my transgressive cinema that pushes envelopes, that changes the cinema landscape, I kind of want it to be dangerous. I don't know. That's just something I prefer. Uh, on here is a bunch of features with Herschel Gordon-Lewis. And I like the guy. I, I love listening to him talk about film and how film is made and how he che cheaply got things done. But I think that this is almost like a case of that he's more concerned about getting the picture done and making money than actually making art. And I can see that. And it's just so cheap and it's so poorly acted and it's just ludicrous. The plot is ludicrous. It's just a poorly put together movie. It always has been. And that's part of the charm for a lot of people. For me, it's not particularly something I like. Um, the gore is uh, ridiculous. It's so tame by today's standards, but back then I imagine it was very graphic for people. They use real innards and things like that. You can spot uh, some nudity here and there, uh, but I don't think it was supposed to be intentional. You know, people in bathtubs. There's a lot of pretty girls in it. The acting's pretty horrendous for the most part. There's a lot of funny scenes in uh, just the way the camera is framed. Like, there'll be cuts right into the same dialogue. It doesn't cut away to anything. Just so cheap. So damn cheap. And uh, like I said, it's charming that he made it, and it's charming that it's that cheap, but I, you can't really ask me to like it, because uh, I, I just I think it's bad. I know that uh, I, that's why I never watched any of his other movies. He's, he's a, kind of a, a blank spot for me, because I never liked what I saw. Um, saying that, I know that he would go on to do like other films like 2001 Maniacs and Color Me Blood Red, and I had the, the set, and I'm probably going to dig into that eventually, and I'm sure I'll like some of them, I, as he probably gets better as he progresses with the gore splatter films. Uh, the other movie on here, Scum of the Earth, I actually like better. It's a black and white. It's his last black and white film, also made in 63. uses a bunch of the same cast here and there. Um, this is supposed to be the first Ruffy, 
And uh, I'll tell you what, it's not very rough, but for 63, I'm sure it was. We have this group of kind of sleazy photographers, real sleazy, and they blackmail women into being nude in shots and all sorts of things. And of course, it, it escalates and there's uh, you know some action at the very end. This one I think is a better movie. I think it's put together better. I think the dialogue's better. Everything about it I think is better. I think that he was probably more comfortable doing this kind of stuff, to be honest, at this point, uh, because uh, Blood Feast was his first gore film. He had already done uh, these kind of nudie-cutie things, or nudie-cutie and all those kind of uh, naked uh, uh, colonist movies, nude colonist movies. This one I think is uh, a little bit better. Not perfect, not great. Uh, it still suffers from the same cheap problems and everything, but uh, I like listening to him and David Freeman talk about their movies and and uh, the release has tons of that, uh, like I said, audio commentary and interviews with other people that love it. And I, I understand why they love it. It's just not something that's really for me. I appreciate the hell out of Herschel Gordon Lewis for what he did for the horror genre. It's just that I don't like what I've seen. And I've, I, I didn't like what I've seen so much that I've avoided a lot of his other titles. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this theater. This picture truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next 90 seconds. follow this uh, bad Arrow movie up with a good Arrow. That's bad release. It's just not something I like. This is Shock Treatment uh, by the film, the creators of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And any huge fan of this movie will get upset if you call it a sequel. Because it's not a sequel. It's not a prequel. It's an equal. That's kind of, uh, I think, one of the taglines for it. But Shock Treatment was made in 79, 80, released in 80. And it's a sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Again, I'm going to say something that's probably controversial. I'm not the hugest fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I think it's alright. I think it's cool. I think that uh, it deserves its cult status. And I think it's important. But uh, I don't love it. I like it. I don't love it. Uh, shock treatment, I love. Uh, I saw this one uh, a long time ago, probably a few years ago. Not a long time ago. But I don't know, five, six years ago. I watched it, and I liked it. I was like, that was weird. I enjoyed it. So uh, when I saw that uh, 
uh, Arrow's reasons. I was interested, and I also hear the soundtrack a bunch of times. Person I live with plays it all the time. So the songs get stuck in your head, and you start to realize how freaking catchy and how smart they are. And uh, that's one thing about Shock Treatment. It is a very intelligent movie. It's uh, it's way ahead of its time. Uh, the sets are amazing. The acting is amazing. The singing is amazing. All the stuff they do in the movie is amazing. And uh, you don't realize that, I don't think, the first time you see it. I think you, this is one of those movies that uh, you want to rewatch. And on rewatch, I... I loved the hell out of it. I was really, really surprised. This is a really nice release, too. It looks great. It sounds freaking great. It comes with a CD on here. Shock Treatment. How do I explain this? If anybody's familiar with the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it has the characters of uh, Janet and uh, Brad, and now they're not necessarily in the same situation. They go back to their hometown, or they're in their hometown, and they realize that this whole big uh, TV network had taken over. Everything's a reality show. This is 1980, uh, and everything's about consumerism. Everybody's brainwashed. Everybody wants to be popular. It's a movie about how easy it is to just kind of sell out when they when they you get the chance to be have fame or be popular. Uh, it's about brainwashing and uh, the dance dances in here and the songs are perfect uh, from all of them. From uh, and they're so satirical. There's so many so much great satire in here. Uh, the father who's just supposed to be this masculine character sings this song. I'm a man and it's it just hilarious because it just shows uh, you know all these things are supposed to be super manly and it's just making fun of him at the same time. But he's also dead serious when he's doing it. Lots of good stuff like that. And the very end of the movie is fairly dark for what it is, although you'll see it in a zany kind of light, but it is dark, and it is, uh, it's ridiculous. But the, the I love the songs. I listen to the soundtrack at work a couple times. Get stuck in your head, too. Uh, it's just a really great, well-put-together disc for a really underrated cult movie. I know that Rocky Horror's got this huge cult, and it probably deserves it. I don't see it. But I wish Shock Treatment had that same cult because I think it deserves it. It has uh, Riff Raff in here. Uh, what is it? Richard O'Brien and the three, three of the bunch of the people from Rocky Horror. But instead of uh, you know Susan Sarandon, it's uh, Jessica Harper. And uh, if anybody's seen Jessica Harper or heard her sing, within the first like 30 seconds, if you're not madly in love with her, you're probably dead. I know, you know, she's perfect. She's from Suspiria and Phantom of Paradise and The Victors. Um, the guy who plays replaces Brad, I think this is a tremendous job too. Great singing voice. Uh, Tim Curry's not in here. That, that kind of hurts the movie a little bit, but no Tim Curry and Meatloaf, and that's probably why a lot of people are disappointed. But I like the songs better. Uh, I think it's a great movie. I think it's zany. I think it's weird. I think it's highly memorable, and I think the lighting is great. And uh, the idea that it's a reality show and all these people are getting brainwashed in 1980 is so ahead of its time. It resonates so much today. I think that uh, Shock Treatment is a freaking masterpiece. I'm going to say it, you know? But, hey, check out the Arrow video. Brad will learn how to care in a surgical chair. Bitching in the kitchen or crying in the bedroom all night. I'd just like to say that I hope you enjoy it. I hope that um, you like the music, most of all. Jim Sharman showed that to Andrew Lloyd Webber and gave him the idea to do The Phantom. She's still gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, basically the transformation that's going to happen in just a few moments when they say that we can make you into a superstar. Uh, she bought all the, went to all the thrift shops to buy all the clothes for the audience. I have to tell you that when it comes to the music of shock treatment, I've listened to the music of shock treatment more than I listened to the music of Rocky Horror. Shock. What were you doing eight years ago? <sighs> The Rocky um, Horror Show. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Rocky Horror Show? What's the Rocky Horror Show? 
Who is that guy? And uh, I've had a long conversation with Richard O'Brien about this, about how it started as a sequel to Rocky Horror, and it started... You can't believe anything he says. Okay, okay. fine. And tolerance for the ethnic races. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Strapless, backless, classical, little black dress. Well, first you go rip, rip, rip. Then you go snip, snip, snip. Then you whip it and zip, zip, zip. And spit it up to the hip, hip, hip. And as you strip, strip, strip. You shiver, you quiver. For that soft caress as you slip, slip, slip. Into that little black dress. The next one here is Cannibal Cop. Yeah, that's right. Donald Farmer's Cannibal Cop. I was interested in this because Donald Farmer's used to this independent director. He's been doing movies for like 20, 30 years. He did Vampire Cop, which I reviewed. Uh, Demon Queen, Scream Dream, uh, Savage Vengeance. So, yeah, he, he makes these really low-budget, like, cheesy, uh, full of, uh, you know, a lot of technical air movies. This one had Ronnie, Jonah, and Jason Crow in it, who I, uh, I love. They're, they're really nice people. They're cool people. I know him. So I was interested in checking it out. Uh, Cannibal Cop follows the story of this crooked, uh, dickhead cop, Jason Crow, who gets bit by the zombie who is brought back by voodoo from someone he did wrong. It kind of sounds a lot like zombie cop, you know, those kind of movies, you know, anything that has cop in it at the end is usually pretty bad, but it sounds a lot like Zombie Cop or, or Vampire Cop, which is a previous movie he had. But uh, Jason Crowe deals with this cannibal curse by going around biting and eating people. He's not a good guy. This uh, girl wants to show that there's this huge, this woman wants to show and break into the news industry and show that there's these crooked cops everywhere and, you know, show people that cops are bad, cops are no good, they beat up people, etc., etc. Uh, Ronnie Jonah plays this uh, reporter, this kind of head reporter, and uh, she's a hot shot. She doesn't want anything to do with her. Uh, of course, they all kind of intermingle, and uh, it's up to this voodoo priest to stop, who brought the cannibal cop on accident to stop him. It's it's a really goofy movie. Uh, the bite effects after the special effects are pretty good. There's some like uh, makeup in here where they just throw green on the guy's face, and he's supposed to be a zombie. Almost all the stuff shot shot in the street, probably without. It's all gorilla probably style. Uh, the sound issues are pretty bad. You hear. <laughs> And I can understand, like, a first movie, you know, I had that problem with uh, Slimy Little Bastards. But this is, like, Donald Farmer's, like, probably 30th movie. So I don't know if the sound issues go, uh, you know, just on, you know, being lazy or probably actually some real hard problems. I'm not sure what happened, but I know that I'm hearing that. So there's no ADR. There's no uh, separate captured sound. And it sounds pretty rough. It is distracting. Uh, the acting, besides from the leads like Ronnie Jonah and Jason Crow and uh, Megan Hunt, and a couple others do really well. And then the acting range is some of these side characters are just bad. And I mean, or it could just be the dialogue. It, it's a fairly uh, ridiculous movie by premise and plot. So you can't take it too seriously, but it is a failure in a lot of ways, the sound. And it it's just not great special effects. The story's not great. It, it's just not particularly something I enjoyed. Uh, it's a little too uh, cheap for me. And I, I love cheap movies, like I said. Some cheap movies. There's going to be a cheap movie coming down the line in this video that I absolutely adore. I know it was a much bigger movie, and it, it probably costs a lot more. But it's still cheap, and I love it for its cheapness. This one I don't love for its cheapness because it's just too has too many technical issues, and it's just not 
its story and a lot of the other stuff don't overcome that to make it anything special. There's a retrospective on here, which is basically Farmer talking about all the movies he did. The Farmer, again, has a endless knowledge of film. I mean, has a endless film knowledge. Uh, he talks about all the movies he did, so that's a nice refresher if you've seen a lot of his movies. Uh, Cannibal Hookers is one of them as well. Uh, and then there's a commentary on here. Uh, on the disc. Uh, not something I would really recommend, but if you like this kind of low-budget stuff, then I would check it out. He's out there, and he's hungry. Real hungry. This might be your first cannibal cop. He's cleaning up the streets, one bite at a time. Don't get in his way, or you're on the menu. <laughs> Cannibal cop. He takes a bite out of crime. The next one here is uh, Pod Nigre. I think it's Pod Nigre. Uh, this is actually by the director of um, In a Glass Cage, which is an infamous movie. It has a huge, it has a cult following. Cult Epics released it. It's a really disturbing movie. A lot of people put it on like super disturbing mo movie list, but it, it's an art film. And uh, that's probably what uh, gives it a little bit more weight than a lot of your average disturbing movies. And Pa Nigra is that as well. It is a, definitely an art film. It's a coming-of-age story that follows this boy in a uh, post-war in uh, kind of this third-world country. And it shows uh, his father and mother. And uh, they they seem like good people at first. And then as, as the story goes on, all these complexities, uh, there's this weird uh, mythology in there about this character that's supposed to live in this cave. And there's a murder that takes place, and everybody blames that person. But it's, it's such a strange movie at first it starts off like I said with this kid having this idea of his parents and by the end of the movie it's completely torn it's completely different and uh, this huge complex uh, you know criminal past happens that divulges a lot of characters for people who they aren't or people who you didn't think they are and who they actually are um, there's uh, this weird sexuality with it with his cousin who lo loses his uh, missing hand from a bomb going off near her house so we have that aspect in here and it it's uncomfortable that's probably why this movie's never been released in the states to my knowledge this is a uh, import disc here uh and and there's this real uh awkward like it's not awkward it, it feels real but it feels very uncomfortable with his uh cousin who they're very young and uh, they have this weird sexual moment in the woods and there's also this uh group of uh I want to say they're lepers, but they call them disease, and they're kind of in this monastery. They don't ever say what they are, but I imagine it's leprosy, uh, where one of them bathes nude, and the boy seems interested in watching the person bathe, and it, it's just weird sexuality that he has with this character. And there, there's like this a uh, lot of homophobic characters in the movie, and it plays into it. Uh, it's it's like I said, it's really well made, it's really well acted, and it will punch you in the freaking stomach uh a lot of the descriptions say it's about somebody who's you know realizing the monster in themselves and that's exactly what it is realizing the world's not a perfect place it, like i said coming in the age story realizing that some things work differently and uh, not as as all as it seems it has great locations i love the time place a time frame it takes place uh it's a, it's a beautiful movie but also really gut-wrenching and real and dramatic and intensely sad and disturbing in a lot of ways as well i would really recommend checking it out especially if you like in a glass cage it is similar in a lot of ways it it, it does these things without like focusing on them like they're an ex extreme movie it's just these things happen and they're horrific or these things happen and they're uncomfortable or these things happen and they're sexual and they probably with these characters it shouldn't be happening but it just happens and it's a matter of fact kind of thing uh there's a lot of politics in here as well and the complexities of the situation uh you know are really well done 
I'd really recommend that one. There's a lot of good relationships in this movie. Next one here from Vestron is Slaughter High. And this isn't even the cheap low-budget movie I was talking about that I love, but it is cheap and low-budget, and I love the hell out of it. Yeah, Slaughter High, this was, I believe, made in 86. It's it's one of the most infamous kind of slasher movies. Everybody wanted to see it on Blu-ray, and I'm glad it got released on Blu-ray. Yeah, if you guys don't know the story of uh, Slaughter High, it follows uh, a group of uh, bullies that pick on this guy named Marty, and through a horrible accident, they scar the hell out of him. Ten years later, there's a high school reunion where they're all invited, and they come back to the school, and they're the only ones left. The school looks shut down, and of course, they start getting picked off. It's not a big mystery who's doing it. We all know who's doing it. There's no twist. It's and and what happens is a bunch of goofy characters that are assholes uh, getting killed by ridiculous ways, including acid beer, acid bath, um, what are some, uh, motor, uh, lots of great scenes, and this movie has a lot of great gore effects, a lot of good kills, uh, but it's really goofy too, especially in the beginning, because all of them are way too old to be playing high schoolers, and they all play the same characters. And it is fairly mean-spirited. Some of the people are bullies in the beginning, but they don't necessarily deserve to die or have what happens to them happen to them. They're not monsters. Not all of them. Uh, Carolyn Monroe's in here, a little bit older than the rest of them. She's in, you know, Maniac and a bunch of other Hammer movies and stuff. Uh, great actress. And you know what? I know the acting is a bit cheesy, but I don't think it's bad. And I think it's actually a little bit better than a lot of people would remember. The gore effects also hold up really well. They are cheap, but they hold over, and especially the acid beer. I remember seeing that. And this movie was one of those movies that, when I first saw it years ago, it just blew my mind on VHS. I was like, oh my god, on the desk. I always thought it was more gnarly than it probably actually was. But it's still fairly gnarly for what it is, a slasher movie, like I said. Um, I love the hell out of it. Uh, the music in here is by Harry Manfredini, and I didn't even know that when I was rewatching it. And I was hearing, I was like, man, a lot of these cues sound just like Friday the frickin' 13th. And uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh, he did the sound. They talk about it in the commentary. He did the music. They talk about it in the commentary. But uh, it's one of my favorite slasher movies, only because the setup is so... Uh it's so rewarding. I love revenge movies, and that's exactly what it is. Everybody knows that the guy who played Marty, the nerd who uh, gets uh, hurt in the beginning, uh, killed himself shortly after the movie was complete, which is a tragedy. Uh, and a lot of people say, it's because the movie drove him at that. And they talk about that in the commentary. That's nonsense. Uh, there is a gratuitous male nude scene in the very beginning where uh, the prank that they play on him, uh, you see everything. And they give him a swirly, and they show him up, and butt crack and all is in there. <laughs> That's just not something they would typically do. This is by uh, British directors, British filmmakers who did this, three directors. All of them are included on the disc. Two do a commentary, Michael Felsher. That's really great. They laugh about it. They reminisce. They make jokes about the whole movie. And there's another interview with the other guy on here. Kelly Monroe is an interview. The disc is a, is a really nice... Uh, release. They do a lot of extras on here that uh, were I don't think previously released before. I'm not sure what the Arrow DVD had. Uh, the transfer doesn't look great.
great. A lot of the blacks look really rough, I think. But it's the best it's ever looked, and uh, it is a low-budget 86 slasher movie, so I'm not going to complain too much. I'm just happy that we actually got it. Uh, love the music. Uh, the original title is April Fool's Day, which is a, a much better title because he's picking all these people off on April Fool's Day. They played the original pranks on April Fool's. But uh, love the hell out of it. I think the acting and the characters are... Better than a lot of the modern slashers now. Um, they may be stereotypes, but they're not so overly for stereotypes today now. Everybody's got to be like, I'm the jock, and let you know they're the jock 67 times in a movie because it's funny. Not really. But uh, yeah, love Slaughter High. I'd really check it out. If you guys like slasher movies and you haven't seen it, what are you doing? What are you doing with your lives except not wasting them like me? Go watch Slaughter High. I can't go in there. Come on now, lover boy's now frightened. Us. We didn't mean to. Now listen, kid, it's a big break for you. I'd rather go to my crummy class reunion than do that picture. Reminds me of prom night. Marty into the showers, none of this would have happened. There's gotta be a way out. next one here is directed by Bill Heinzman in the late 80s. This is Flesh Eater. I reviewed Major Rats a little bit ago. He directed that one too in 86. And uh, Flesh Eater is one of my uh, favorite movies. It's been in my rotation of watch movies I would just watch all the time for like 15, 16 years, maybe 17 years. Almost damn near a de 20 years, two decades, 18 years I think I've been watching this movie in regular rotation. I had it on the original VHS for Magnum, Revenge of the Living Zombies, I believe, it was, I think it was called that. But uh, what we have here is a completely shameless kind of ripoff of Night of the Living Dead, and that's why I love it, because it's shot in Pittsburgh, or in the Pennsylvania area, with Bill Heinzman and, you know, some of the cast from, uh, well, a couple you'll notice from uh, Night of the Living Dead. So I'm a sucker for that. Has that Pittsburgh feel? Has that fall feel? Has that just ridiculously fun, uh, gory zombie movie thing going on? Uh, this farmer accidentally unleashes pure evil in Bill Heinzman, who's the original Graveyard Cemetery zombie. He's also the director of this movie, and he also pretty much plays the same character, but now he's a little bit stronger and more supernatural. Um, he just finds this thing in the ground, and like an idiot... He uh, takes the stump out, and then he takes this weird pentagram off. Then he opens the coffin, breaks the chain. It's like, man, if somebody took the time to do this much to hide this body, why are you going to keep... Just don't open. Leave it alone. And, uh, of course, he unleashes pure evil on Halloween night. And uh, Bill Heinzman, the zombie creature, goes around and spreading the zombies. And all the zombies uh, first attack all these kids, and the kids are running through. They go in the town. Halloween parties. They start getting picked off. Rick Bullock is in this, too, from Gorgasm. Uh, not the newer one. The older Gorgasm by Hugh Gallagher and Final Interview. He's in that as well. He pops up in here. Uh, Vince, uh, the, the character from Vince from Night of the Living Dead, pops up in here again. The guy who accidentally shoots Ben at the end. Uh, 
doing something similar. But yeah, the gore effects are insane. It is completely gratuitous in nudity as well. It's shameless in that, in that as well. The gore effects are really fun, really great. And they're abundant. The zombies look, you know, in flannels. They look like uh, a cross between Night and Dawn of the Dead. I love them. Um... And like I said, there's gratuitous nudity in here too as well. Like Heinzman attacks this girl who just got out of the shower. And he's, at one point it looks like he cups her boob, which uh, it, it, I was like, hmm, that's a little odd. Did you grab her boob? And then you realize he has to take the towel off. But it, it's kind of, uh, it looks worse than it probably is. But uh, it's a super fun movie. It's like I said, shameless. Some of the acting ranges, some's bad, some's good. And it's mean as hell. Like the people, I feel bad for the people when they die. And I don't typically say that. I feel bad for everybody that gets killed in here. There's this poor cop who gets killed, and he gets on the, the radio, and he's yelling at the dispatcher, and <laughs> you just feel like, man, poor guy. And uh, you know what's funny, as hokey and cheesy as it is? I think the people act a little bit more natural than they would in a lot of other horror movies. My favorite scene in the movie, it's always been my favorite scene in the movie. Well, maybe not my favorite. Besides the cartoon animation of Bill Heinzman biting the screen, I love that. But there's this character, they're picking off the zombies in true Romero fashion, even though it's not Romero. And uh, these uh, these group of hunters, and it's Halloween, the day after Halloween, and he goes in the house to clear this house out, and he looks over down at him. I've talked about this before. He looks down, sees a candy bar. You know what he does? He pockets the candy bar. He's probably been out all night hunting zombies, and he's hungry. But, uh, yeah, it's just a movie I love. Uh, if you like gore, if you like gratuitous nudity, if you like Halloween fun, if you like a fall feeling, if you like Heinzman as the graveyard zombie running around biting people, that's all I can say. The music's great, too. I love it. The picture quality on the Blu-ray is not perfect. It's not as good as the Majorettes. I think they did a better job with that. But this is Shriek Show, older Blu-ray. But I love the movie. What can I say? <laughs>
last one is the border wood. This is a German import. It says Jack Nicholson, Harvey Keitel, and Warren Oates. Uh, I just heard about this movie from 80s all over, and I was interested because, you know, Harvey Keitel, Jack Nicholson, Warren Oates. This might have been Warren Oates' last movie. But, uh, yeah, we follow Jack Nicholson, who's a Border Patrol officer in uh, California. His wife wants to move back to Texas with her sister and her husband. So they convince him to finally do it. Jack Nicholson hates his job. He's miserable at doing it. And he should be. If you see what he does, he anybody would be. He goes to Texas, and uh, he gets paid more. His wife starts spending a lot of money. The both His wife and her sister are both very materialistic and that's why kind of Harvey Keitel and Jack Nicholson seemingly need money uh, and well they need money of course Harvey Keitel is crooked and it's kind of hard like the movie tries to set up like their material materialism I don't know what's going on up there but their materialism is what you know, sets these guys to become crooked. And that necessarily doesn't work in the movie. But Jack, Nichol gets, Jack Nicholson gets thrown in this world of, you know, corrupt Border Patrol officers. And he uh, starts kind of befriending this uh, young girl who has his baby with her and her little brother. He starts feeling sorry for him. And he starts to dig deep into this uh, murder. And he realizes that this ties back to the Border Patrol. And he has a line. The whole movie is about lines and about, you know, your soul and whatnot. And, you know, losing it and becoming like a certain kind of man, you know. The trailer does a really good job at that. It says the line you cross is the border and it, the border and yourself and whatnot. I love how they set that up. And that's what happens here. There's moments of comedy with Jack Nicholson, especially during a, a dinner, kind of a, bar, a backyard barbecue they have where he, he grabs, there's a food fight that breaks out. He's burning these shish kebabs and he throws the grill in the, in the pool. That's great. Uh, I think Warren Oates is underutilized in here. And another thing about the movie is Roy, Roy Corder did the music, and it's perfect. The music's great in here, a lot of singing, and that it ties directly into the movie. Uh, the the girl that Jack Nicholson wants to help has a really sympathetic thing going on with her. So many bad things happen to her, you, you, you're rooting for. And the bad guys in the movie you absolutely hate. A couple of them you want to kill yourself. Uh, and when people die in this movie, they don't just do a typical shoot. It, it's almost like they go to these elaborate extremities to kill people and a couple of my I, I said oh my god i can't believe that just happened in this movie it doesn't feel like it should be in this movie there's two of them that for in particular but uh it, it's a little long for my taste and like i said the whole idea that the materialism with them kind of pushing them forward forward to have to be crooked and what his wife does is almost comical the way they do it but uh, there's some serious moments as well it's a good movie i'd recommend it good music good performances especially by jack nicholson i think he he does a great job harvey Keitel is always good warnos is always good uh there's some like recognizable faces in here that pop up too. the dad from american history x he was also in a, a tv show i can't remember what he was in and uh the heavy set guy from night of the scarecrow and prince of darkness are both border patrol cops other people you'll recognize too I can't really pinpoint their names off the top of my head, but uh, it, it's a solid movie uh, with a really good performance and a, and a good message. And you know what? It resonates today. There's a lot of stuff to talk about the border and illegal immigrants and whatnot. This this movie, uh, you know, uh, paints the uh, a lot of the illegals as uh, you know um, sympathetic characters, especially you know the the, the girl with her the baby. Although they do like uh, paint the picture, you know, a lot of uh, drug cartels and drug drug pushing and stuff in there too. It's an interesting movie, and uh, I wish they were still making interesting movies like this. Maybe I'm just being a, a, a Debbie Downer, but I don't think they're as interesting as this stuff. It's just run of the mill movie with Jack Nicholson, 1981, and it just has all this stuff going on there. And it's not forced; it's not shoved down your throat. It's just there, and I like that. I ain't in this for murder. You hear me? No way that I'm in this for murder. There's some real big money on the table. Smart man, he's gonna play his cards right tight up against his chest. You're killing drivers. Don't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, because if I don't know what I'm talking about, where's the driver you took in there today? 
See this line? This line right here I don't cross. This line right here. Within every man, there are two men. There's times when I feel like there's a whole other person in there. Just isn't the Charlie Smith that I married. One who does what he's told to. Game's a little different around here. There's some real big money on the table. One who does what he has to. I don't care about your money. Well, you your life is gonna be fine. Listen, you don't ever get involved, Murder. You understand what I'm saying to you? Within every man, there is a difference. No, 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 no. No, senora. You don't owe me anything. Between what he sees is wrong. I just left him on the other side of his Adam's apple all over his chest. And what he knows is right. Hold it right there. What do you want, boy? Look for that kid you took off the truck. Within every man, there is a distance. I want to feel good about something sometime. Between how far he's come. Take care of business, Charlie. That's all we do. We take care of business. And how far he'll go. See this line? This line right here I don't cross. This line right here. Within every man, there is a border. I need a riot gun. Once he crosses it, there's no going back. How you doing, Charlie? Charlie's never been better, Red. Jack Nicholson. The border. It divided the land. It divided the man. To the questions. John Wilhelm, question for you. Favorite Lee Van Cleef movie? Probably uh, for a few dollars more. Uh, that's probably the one I like best. Or uh, The Big Gun Down. That's one of them. He's good in that too. He's also Escape from New York. But I'm going to go with for a few dollars more. Nick, do you enjoy French horror films? Yes, I do. Uh, he gives examples and uh, a bunch of them. You know, some of these movies I've seen, you know, I've seen Brotherhood of the Wolf. I like that. I love Inside. I think I talked about these before. Martyrs, Inside. High Tension, I think, is great until the ending. I think it's terrible. I don't care how damn crazy you are. You can't do that. Uh, what else? I'm uh, not a big fan of Frontiers, some of the bigger ones. There's a, a French movie I reviewed a while ago about this couple. These uh, young couple that are on the run and they get picked up by this uh, weird guy in the woods and he... It's a Hansel and Gretel retelling. That's a good one, too. I can't think of the name. Uh, Tony of the Dead. I guess my question has to be, out of all the movies in your collection, which are your top three you watched? Or watched the most by me? You know, I watch Return of the Living Dead a lot. That's one of the go-to movies I put in, and I just watch it. Uh, out of three, though, three? Uh, Return of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead, those are favorites. Uh, let me think of some more that I just put in and watch all the time. Uh, I used to watch Dirty Work all the time on DVD. Put that in and just have some laughs. So I'll go with those three. Uh, if you don't want to answer, what is the, what is one way that you would want to see someone die in a movie that may or may not, to your knowledge, has ever been done before? I got a whole idea for a movie. I want a movie, a slasher movie, to take place in a factory. I know people are like, well, they did that with Intruder, kind of, in like the grocery store. But if anybody's ever worked in a factory and ever seen a factory injury or just know all the machinery and heavy machinery in there, there's so many accidents. There are so many ways a killer can mess somebody up in there. So many different machines. Hand in a proctor, hand in a press, hand, head in a saw. You could flatten guys. You could cut them in half. You could twist their arm into like goo. You could mess people up. Slasher in a factory. Matthew L. Bushwell, my question for you is if you could get a good sequel to any horror movie that doesn't already have sequels, what would it be? He would choose It Follows an Event Horizon. Those are cool uh, ideas. I would go with Neon Maniacs because, I mean, it's not particularly great. And 
I think I love it, so I want to see more of it. I don't think that there would be this huge outrage. I think there'd be confusion. I don't know if you'd ever get the money for it, but I'd love to see a sequel because that movie set up all these different monsters and uh, uh, army of slashers, like kind of setting up that this is the reason for slashers all over the place. Maybe a precursor to Cabin in the Woods, but I don't know. I'm just kidding about that. But Neon Maniacs is one I'd like to see. Christopher Dallier, favorite Asian horror film? Favorite Asian horror film? Huh. Asian, uh, it's going to have to be one of the uh, Korean or Cat 3 titles. I don't know if Cat 3 count, like Untold Story and Ebola Syndrome. Those are not necessarily horror movies. They're more like crime movies, but they're so twisted. A lot of people throw them in the horror category. Uh, let's go with something. Uh, let's just go with I Am Hero, Train to Busan, or ones that are stuck in my head. But Battle Royale, if it counts. It's not, I don't know if it's horror, but it's Battle Royale if i got to count that. 